He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. You are listening to Episode 3, and I am Scott Gardner. And right off the bat, I want to say thank you to everyone who has been messaging me, either through the forum or Facebook or wherever and giving me feedback on this show. It has been 100% positive with some suggestions and uh, some constructive criticism, and I really, really appreciate it. And I want to take a moment to address some of the feedback that has come into the official Gmail account for this show, which is jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. And the first one we've got is entitled, Just Wanted to Say... It says, I'm very happy you decided to follow through on your Jonah Hex podcast idea. I listened to the first episode, and I really enjoyed your personal memoir of your experience with Hex. I'll be listening every week, and if you need a second chair for an episode, give me a call. And then in parentheses it says, I will admit, I think of the theme of Fistful of Dollars when I think of Hex, but hey, your mileage may vary. And this is from Thomas DJ of the Better in the Dark and DJ's Comics Cavalcade podcast. Thank you, Thomas. I really appreciate the feedback, and I appreciate the uh, offer for a second chair for the show. However, I have to admit, I want to be very selfish about this project. This one is, is very personal to me, and I kicked around the idea of trying to hunt up a co-host and, and do this as a as a co-hosting thing but just decided in the long run that i need to be in control <laughs> so i just decided to go solo for a while at least for a little bit in the beginning we'll, we'll see how that pans out somewhere down the road i may decide to bring other folks in or maybe guest spots or something like that but for the time being at least for the earliest issues I really want to try to get a handle on this solo podcasting thing, so you guys continue to let me know how I'm doing in that regard. Next one is from Stan Johnston, and he writes in about the debut podcast. He says, Scott, just wanted to say thanks for the Jonah Hex podcast. I've always enjoyed Hex, but don't possess nearly the knowledge of the character that you do. So I'll look forward to being schooled in the coming weeks and months. Good job on the history of the character this time out. And this is from Stan Johnston. Well, Stan, I don't know about uh, you know me having any great knowledge of the character. I've just read a ton of his stories and just have a real passion for him. But 
as far as being like you know super knowledgeable or anything eh, I don't know about that I, I just get a kick out of him I just enjoy reading his uh, his adventures so that's what this show is gonna be all about next we have one entitled some quick and dirty comments Ooh, I like dirty comments this one is from Sean Foster and he writes howdy Scott says I thoroughly enjoyed the first review episode of the show as well as your reading of the feedback I sent you on the first show Although you expressed some reservations about doing this podcast solo, I thought it sounded good. Your passion and appreciation for old Jonah comes through clearly, which is something that might be lost with another voice or voices in the conversation. I was glad to hear you got a chance to see for a few dollars more. Of the various Sergio Leone westerns, it's my favorite, as it has possibly one of the coolest final showdowns ever in a western. It also has the most hex-esque feel of the whole dollars trilogy although the good the bad and the ugly has its moments as well i've got to ask though have you seen high plains drifter which i think is one of the first weird western films made i also had a chance to skim through a few issues of the good the bad and the ugly comic a while back of what i read it was good so i'll be on the lookout for a few back issues uh let me just address that it's been a long long time since i've seen high plains drifter i know i saw it at least once or twice as a kid because it was one of my father's favorites but i couldn't really tell you much about it now the good the bad and the ugly comic i knew there was a comic about it. it is that like a sequel or something to the man with no name comics or are they tied together somehow i really didn't know too much about it i'm also on the uh the lookout for those but uh haven't gotten any issues of that yet and i really don't know what it's about or whatever but i'm curious to read it because uh, what little i have of the other one the man with no name i've really enjoyed He goes on to say, As for the first Hex story ever, I absolutely loved it. I thought that it really got across the personality of its main character and showed how different he was from the other heroes of Western comics at the time. It was interesting to see how folks reacted to his scarred face, even when it was hidden from the reader's eyes by clever use of shadows. It made that brief reveal in the mid part of the tale all the more horrifying. I also like how the story and its ending turned many of the cliches of westerns on their heads, yet another indication that this wasn't your father's western. Now, I'd also like to add that this first tale of Jonah Hex has also been collected in a recent trade paperback called Welcome to Paradise, which also has the first appearances of Quentin Turnbull, El Papagayo, and The Chameleon. Before this email gets too long, I'll end by saying I'm looking forward to the next episode, and I'll be listening. And that's from Sean Foster. Thank you very much, Sean. I don't know why this uh, Welcome to Paradise one did not come up uh, in the source I was checking into for where these stories have been reprinted. That's uh, that's very odd, but thank you for pointing that out. That'll be handy for listeners to know. That must be like a like a best of Jonah Hex type of deal or something if it's got all these uh, first appearances in there because the Quentin Turnbull stuff is quite a ways down the road for us yet and I can't remember off the top of my head where El Papagayo comes in and the last one for this time is one that's entitled What a Great Startup this one is by Sean Engel and he writes Greetings Scott Congratulations on starting up the podcast that you were pretty much destined to do. (laughs) Sadly, now you're going to drive me to the poorhouse by having me try to find all the back-issue goodness that you are serving up in this and your other podcasts. I'm really interested to hear the development of Jonah Hex as told by a true fan of the character. As for the first episode, it did sound scripted. 
but you had to get introductions in for anyone who doesn't have a working knowledge of the character. The second episode, which I just finished, was much better, and you did your superb work at describing the story in a way that let me envision the book without having it in front of me. Oh, good. Well, I worry about that, and I'm, I always hope that I'm painting a good enough visual picture to where you can follow along and that and that I'm not boring. <laughs> he goes on to say, Your reads with the accent and southern dialect are fine, but this might just be one of the cases where scripted dialogue works better being read visually rather than aloud. I, I think that's true for... Gosh, I think it's true for the majority of comics, to be honest with you, because I think that's one of the reasons why, and I don't want to get off on a, a wild tangent on this, but I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes we as comic book fans, we look at our comics and we enjoy them and we hold them up as, you know, this is true literature, blah, blah, blah. And, but then something like an animated project or a movie comes along, uses the same exact dialogue, and we kind of cringe and, and we're embarrassed if a non-comics person's in the room watching it with us because we're like, wow, that sounds really corny or whatever. Because, yeah, it, you can read it in your head any number of ways. So e even the most ridiculous of line, you can work it to where it sounds really cool, you know, in the when the hero says something really tough or the villain says something really, I don't know, really corny or whatever where then you see it on the screen or on television and it just doesn't come off the same way and it comes off really cheesy or really silly. I think that's just one of the pitfalls of comic books, unfortunately. It's one of the reasons why over the years I've really started to kind of shy away from the idea of comics being adapted to other media because it just isn't the same. But anyway, I digress. He finishes up by saying, All in all, I'm really looking forward to where this character is going and how you are going to present it. I'd have to say it's off to a great start. Sincerely, Sean Engel. And he does add a PS here. He says, One of the reasons the Jonah Hex movie looks like it does is because the writers are the people who gave us the movies Crank, Crank High Voltage, and Gamer, all ridiculous, over-the-top action movies, which they feel will translate well to this franchise. Josh Brolin might get the character right, but it looks like the story will be utter crap. You know... So far on this show, I've refrained from talking about the film. And I'm still going to kind of do that. But I am going to say, I, I still, at, as of this recording, I still have not made up my mind. As I record this, it's the day before the movie's coming out. I haven't decided, frankly, whether I'm going to go see it. There's a couple of factors beyond the fact that I think the movie isn't going to be very good. I think the movie's just going to piss me off. But also, you know, there's monetary reasons. I mean, Toy Story's coming out, for one thing. I'd really like to, you know, take the family and see that. And if we go see that in digital 3D, that's going to be quite a little bit of money to be dropping. So I don't know that I'm going to really have money for Jonah Hex. Plus, do I really want to spend money for something that I'm pretty sure is just going to work me up? So, I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but... Yeah, I'm not really happy with what I'm seeing. It just doesn't look like Jonah Hex to me. Sure, Josh Brolin looks great. He looks the part of Jonah from what little I've seen of him acting the part. Yeah, he looks. He sounds like Jonah Hex. He looks like he's in character. It's just the movie around him <laughs> doesn't look like Jonah Hex. It doesn't look like my idea of what Jonah Hex should be, which is a gritty Western, period. You don't need a bunch of silly, over-the-top bullshit. And that's kind of what they're throwing into this. And that I'm sad for that. Because if it's tanks, then 
how long might it be before we get a good Jonah Hex movie, if ever? I mean, Jonah Hex, frankly, I'm surprised there even is a Jonah Hex movie. So it's really going to sadden me if it's a bad Jonah Hex movie. But enough on that. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. And like I say, to everyone who continues to give me encouragement and feedback and everything. I really appreciate it. I really need it. So continue to send it in. Thank you so much. Moving right along, we are going to get to the main event. This time around, we are looking at All-Star Western number 11. This is the April-May 1972 issue. Original cover price on this, again, 25 cents for 52 big pages. Cover on this one is by Tony DiZaniga, and it's a completely different cover design than last time. They keep uh, shaking up the design. Gone is the banner at the top. Now, on the previous issue, number 10, the All-Star Western banner... It consisted of off to the left side, you had a little tiny logo that said DC All-Star Western. Underneath that and to the side of that, you had featuring, and it showed all the other characters that were in the issue, or rather all the characters that were in the issue. And then it said All-Star Western. took up about a sixth of the cover right at the very top. This time, banners gone. There's a little tiny thing. I wouldn't call it a banner. It's more like a ribbon. It's at the absolute top of the page. Just says DC to one side, and then it says All-Star Western. And then underneath that is, again, the logo All-Star Western. But it's not in a box or anything. It's just on top of the art. And I really like this cover design because it really gets a, a chance for the art to really shine through. This almost looks like a splash page because there's very little on it to, to get in the way of the artwork. At the very bottom of the page, we do have something that shows us everybody that's going to be in this issue. We've got uh, starring, it says Jonah Hex and El Diablo. And then off to the side, we got the little tiny heads of Pow Wow Smith and Bat Lash. But the main part of the cover is showcasing just this beautiful piece of art by Dizniga. And it's this boy, his clothes are all tattered and torn, and he's laying, we can't tell if he's alive or dead, and he's laying across this horse who's on the ground, and the horse looks absolutely panicked, standing over them, trying to defend them and beat away these nasty vultures is Jonah Hex, and his clothes are all tattered and torn, and two of the vultures are ripping his clothes off, and another one's biting him in the arm, we see two more descending from the sky, and Hex just looks maniacal. His hat is gone and his clothes are all ripped up and everything. We see his guns are laying a strewn in the field where he can't quite get to them. And it's just a great, great cover. Now, if you guys have seen the solicits, the original solicits for the upcoming issue of Back Issue Magazine from Tomorrow's Publications, it's going to be issue number 42. The original solicits had a cover on it. That was a reworking of this cover by Dizaniga, but for some reason they've changed it up. They're now going with a, uh, it's still a hex cover, but it's a wanted poster. It's a wanted dead or alive. I don't really like it as much. I mean, it's a good cover and all, but hex, he looks kind of weird in this. He's wearing, his hat looks a little bit different, and he's wearing this, I don't know, scarf looking thing around his neck or something. And every time I catch this on a quick glance, he looks like a Boy Scout to me. I just, I really don't care for that one as much as the other one because the other one is a callback to this cover so anyway love the cover on this one and we're going to get right into the story so opening up the front cover the main feature the lead feature in this one is jonah hex we start off right off the bat 
action. We open to an awesome title splash page of a tattered and injured young man firing his pistol at Jonah Hex as the bounty hunter reaches for his own weapon. And we have a little text piece here that says, The Lamb Attacked the Lion. Fast as the youth was with a gun, he was unknowingly attempting to best the most deadly gunfighter in the West, a paid professional killer, a veteran of a hundred violent battles, the man called Jonah Hex, in The Hundred Dollar Deal. That's the name of this story. Very sparse in the way of credits, we only have two. We have script, John Albano, and art, Tony DiZaniga. So continuing, the young man orders Hex not to try that again or he'll put the next shot between his eyes. All he wants, he says, is Hex's horse. Keeping a weary eye on Jonah, the kid takes his ride and gallops off. Once Hex figures they've gone far enough, he dives for his piece and sights up on the horse thief. But before he can fire, the young man suddenly and unexpectedly tumbles from the saddle. Hex wanders over to retrieve his horse and looks down at the kid, seeing vultures gathering, preparing to make a meal out of the thief. Jonah figures that that's the kid's own lookout, not his, and he rides off as one of the scavengers alights on the body. But turning the page, quote-unquote sometime later, we see the kid come out of it to the sounds of Hex shooting and kicking the buzzards. Hex tells the kid that the only reason he patched him up is because he hates scavenger birds worse than anything even horse thieves, and that the cowardly creatures ain't got the nerve to attack nothing less than it's half-dead and defenseless. The boy apologizes for trying to take Jonah's horse and explains that the only reason he did it was out of pure desperation. Three men are hot on his trail because they believe he robbed and killed an old man. To which Hex says, What the blazes are you telling me for, boy? I ain't no danged parson. The kid offers Hex $100 to get him safely to his sister's house. $100, huh? And Jonah accepts. But on the ride, they are accosted by the three pursuers. But they've picked the wrong fight with the wrong badass. On a spectacular splash, Hex takes down all three at once, firing both his pistols from a horseback. That evening, they arrive at the sister's place. But the boy, whom we learned is named Terry, has passed out from his wounds. Jonah brusquely orders the woman to tell him where to dump the kid, and after doing so in an adjacent bedroom, she goes in and tends to him. A little while later, she comes out of the bedroom and finds Hex chowing down on her dinner. She expresses her thanks, but Hex doesn't want thanks. He wants paid. And while he washes up in her kitchen basin, he tells her of the deal he struck with her brother and of the men who were pursuing Terry. They were after him for suspicion of robbing and killing an old man named Hillsworth. Terry offered Hex $100 to get him safely to where he's at now. The sister is just taking all this in and paying Hex his $100 when, speak of the devil, Hillsworth's son and some gun hands arrive in the doorway brandishing firearms. But Hex quickly gains the upper hand by kicking the door shut, slamming it on the hand of one of the men. Hex simultaneously fires a few rounds into the closed door with one of his guns and shoots the gas lamp lighting the cabin with the other one, then sneaks out the back window and into the darkened yard. As the sister huddles in the dark, she hears the sound of three gunshots. A short time later, the front door creaks open as a man holding a smoking gun enters the room. But it's just Hex, and he tells her it's okay to light another lamp. 
Those skunks won't be doing any more seeing in light or dark. Grateful, the woman tries to express her gratitude as only a woman can, and even after Jonah makes sure she's had a good look at his scarred face, she isn't deterred and plants one on him, full on the lips. But they are interrupted by the sounds of her brother awakening in the next room. She goes to attend him, so Jonah says he's going to go bury those skunks out in the yard. Out in the yard, Jonah digs graves and mutters some funny things to himself about how she doesn't fool him. She's wanting a husband, and he's not interested. But basically says he won't mind sticking around and maybe banging her for a while till her brother recovers. It's really funny. So a little while later, Terry is recovered enough to ask where Jonah is. And the sister replies that he's out in his usual spot on the hill, watching for any more riders that may mean trouble. So... Terry orders her to get her things they're leaving. Turns out, Terry really did rob and kill old man Hillsworth. And this woman isn't Terry's sister at all. She's his wife. And she's been using her wicked wiles to keep Jonah around to defend these two till Terry got well again. But she's had a change of heart. She's gotten to know Jonah and feels badly for lying to him. We're all rotten, she says. But Jonah deserves a better deal than we're giving him. Forget it, Amy, he says. And this, I'd like to point out, is the first time we've seen her name in the entire story. Jonah Hex is a vicious hired killer, nothing more. And as he orders her to, quote-unquote, forget that saddle bum and start packing, they both turn to see Jonah's backlit figure, dark and menacing, filling the open doorway. Terry foolishly draws on him, but Hex shoots the gun right out of his hand. Amy fears for their lives, but Hex isn't interested in killing them. He binds their hands and walks them behind him as he rides his horse to town. There, he turns them over to the law for bounty. Before leaving the jailhouse, Amy, crying, calls to Jonah. She says, Jonah... She says, I know we'll never see each other again, but please, don't leave without saying you forgive me for... And Jonah cuts her off, saying, Stop wasting your breath, woman. You talk like you thought I'd been in love with you or something. So later, in the town saloon, Hex pours a drink, musing to himself that he knew that stupid female was a phony right from the start. When a Mr. Courtney, dealer in fine jewelry, bellies up to the bar next to him. Now, Mr. Courtney, he's... uh, very Easterner looking, you know, he's, he's got a prim and proper suit, he's got a little bowler hat, and he's got a little bag of wares with him. He tries to interest Jonah in a beautiful ring to impress a fine lady. Only $100, the jeweler says, a real good deal for $100. And on the last panel, we see some town folks witness Mr. Courtney, bag of jewels and all, sailing hilariously, headfirst crashing through the front window of the saloon and out into the street. And that's the end. I like this story a lot. Now, this is the first, certainly not the last time, that we will see someone dupe Jonah Hex and come to regret it. However, I don't remember a whole lot of times of this happening where they don't wind up dead. I was a little bit surprised that uh, that Hex doesn't kill either one. The woman, maybe I can understand that, because I, I think he really did have some feelings for her. But Terry, the uh, quote-unquote brother, not only did he lie to Hex, not only did he try to steal their horse right in the begin- or Hex's horse right in the beginning of the story, 
then he stands there, you know, without Hex, you know, without realizing Hex is overhearing everything. He says he calls Hex all these names. He turns around, he sees Hex, then he draws on him. So I'm really surprised Hex didn't simply just blow him away right there. He he just shoots the gun out of his hand, which I know that's kind of it's a very Lone Ranger-ish move to, to just shoot the, the guns out of somebody's hands, but I like that. I've always been a sucker for that in Westerns, no matter what character it is that does it. I just think that's kind of neat. Always back to my love of the Lone Ranger, I guess. I really enjoy the art in this story, and again, um, Dizaniga not beating us over the head with Hex's face. Again... I'm flipping back through the issue real quick here, but I, I think that the only time in this that we get a really solid look at Jonah's face, yes, I'm right. He actually uses the same exact trick as last issue where at the bottom of page 10, last panel, he lights a match and holds it up to his the scarred side of his face so that Amy can get a really solid look at him and knows you know who she's coming on to. There are a couple other panels where you kind of see the scar and, you know, the, the piece of flesh that, that links his upper and uh, lower lip, but we're not beat over the head with it. It's really just that one panel where you get a really solid look at it. The rest of the time, he uh, that side of his face is shadowed. Really cool. I love that, that he's being very, uh, Dizaniga, I mean, is being very sparing of the shock value of what Jonah looks like. Some really beautiful art in this story. Some really, I love the opening splash page of uh, Hex reaching for his gun and the kids taking a shot at him. But the uh, the one that really, really strikes me, this would make an awesome poster, is page six, where we get a full page splash. We got two guys are are standing in the dirt, and we've got another guy on horseback, and he's got a shotgun, you know, a rifle. Hex is on horseback. He's not holding onto the reins or anything. He's wielding both of his weapons, and he's taking all three guys down at the same time. And it says, "Badow, badow, badow!" And he's taking them all down. That would make just oh man, that would be a great poster or a T-shirt. Make a good T-shirt too. But solid, uh, solid artwork throughout. I really enjoyed the story, and I like that. While it does end sadly for Jonah at the very end, where he's kind of drinking to his sorrows in the bar at the end, it also ends on. Uh, a funny note with uh, Mr. Courtney <laughs> being, him being given the bums rush by Hex right out the window. I love it. As far as the other features in this one, we've got a El Diablo by, it's scripted, believe it or not, by Sergio Aragones. Yes, that Sergio Aragones. And uh, Denny O'Neill. Art again by uh, Gray Morrow. And I really like the art in this. What I really like is that this shows El Diablo using all of his weapons. And, uh, you know, we see him. He's using his gun, of course. He's uh, strangling somebody in one. He uses a bolo to get another guy. And then my favorite, he uses his bullwhip. As someone who um, owns several bullwhips and used to many, many years ago be very proficient with it, and I'm not bragging about that. I just, I'm just saying, I really like bullwhips. I, I like stories, you know, especially a comic book. Because there's been a couple comic book characters that have actually wielded a bullwhip. I really like that. I like when it's drawn accurately to where, you know, this is what it would really be like to, you know, snap a gun out of somebody's hand or whatever. And uh, there's a great uh, panel here of him doing just that. Love that kind of stuff. We also have Pow Wow Smith, Indian Lawman. 
This one's by uh, Gardner Fox with art. Really nice art, too, by uh, Carmine Infantino. Carmine Infantino, I would consider him one of my favorites, but with a condition. I, I'm not always crazy about his. I never much cared for his Flash stuff. Some of his later cosmic-y stuff I didn't care for all that much. But back during this time, wow, really, really nice stuff. I don't know if this is an original story or a reprint, but uh, really beautiful art in this. He, uh, he really outdid himself. I like it a lot. Also, Batlash, again scripted by Sergio Aragones and Denny O'Neill. Art this time by Nick Cardi. And as much as I really, really, really enjoy Nick Cardi's covers of the 70s, especially to uh, the Superman titles. Not all that crazy about his interior stuff. This just, uh, this doesn't really, I think this is one of the reasons I never really cared for Batlash very much as a character. I just never really dug the art. And right quick off the top of my head, I can't think of another artist who ever drew Batlash besides Nick Cardi. So I, I, I guess I just, uh, guilt by association. As far as ads in this issue, we got a really funky one on the inside front cover. One I don't recall having seen before, Muscle Building Tools. It's all this stuff to to make a He-Man out of us uh, geeky, scrawny little comics nerds, I guess. We've got an awesome ad for Aurora Model. I guess this is Model Kits, Prehistoric Scenes. I guess this must be Aurora Models. It says the cavemen are coming. It shows dinosaurs and a saber-toothed tiger and all these different things and cavemen and stuff. And uh, the art in that looks so familiar to me, but I just can't quite place who it is. It looks very much like Tom Palmer, but I don't know if he was around doing comics at this time. But uh, I really like the art in that anyway. We got that same house ad again, reduced to a much smaller size on just one page. The one by uh, Carmen Infantino of a couple of kids looking for their DCs. Got an ad about Kirby's Fourth World Blockbusters, and it's naming off all the titles that, uh, that make up the Fourth World. No art shown, just the logos to the different comics. More ads for life-size monsters. One of my favorite old-timey ads. Stick your favorites up against the wall, it says. And it's uh, got all the classic poses of so many classic DC characters. You got Aquaman, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Supergirl, and that uh, cute little hot pants outfit of hers. Superman, Batman, and Robin, The Flash, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman. But uh, just great classic art. You know, classic poses, classic art, and these, you know, Gil Kane, Neil Adams, Kurt Swan. Really nice stuff. I, I've always liked that. I'd love to chance across those sometime. An ad for Cubert uh, taking over Tarzan of the Apes, number one DC issue. Never read any of that stuff. I wonder if it's any good. Ads for Army Men and Civil War Men. I don't see that one very often. Cash and prizes and sell some of those stupid fast-selling seats. That's about it for ads in this one. And wrapping up, I love this part of the show, the death count. This issue, we have three shot and three shot off panel. All we hear is just the sounds, so all we that's all we've got to go with is how many times Hex shoots off his weapon, so I'm calling it three. That's a total of six men killed this issue. Adding that to the overall tally so far, we had two already dead, nine shot, one stabbed. That's a total of 12 men killed by Jonah Hex so far. This issue, All-Star Western, number 11, is reprinted in several places, including a 2007 
Finland released a Jonah Hex trade paperback. We've got Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales from 1979, number one. And Showcase presents Jonah Hex trade paperback from 2005, volume one. Next week, number 12, and Jonah makes a jump. Where does he jump? Well, you gotta listen and find out. For the Jonah Hex podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com.